our vision statement is two words, be irreplaceable. Because when things go bad, and they're going to go bad again, I mean, I hope they don't, but they probably will. There's cycles of this stuff. Uh, The analogy that I would use, Scott, would be a lot of people canceled Hulu, but not a lot of people canceled Netflix. Right. You don't want to be Hulu, (laughs) you know? What's going on, everybody? I got another episode of Putting You in Your Place today. <clears throat> Excuse me, man. Uh, episode 33, I'm talking with somebody that I, uh, I admire, I have followed for some time, uh, that has given me a lot of inspiration. He's provided me great service and a great product. Uh, I got Chris Smith from Curator here today. Chris, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you being involved in the show. Uh, we really do appreciate it. I, I mean, my gratitude is like off the charts today. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be here. I love doing these. I love supporting people like yourself. Anybody that's creating content, putting themselves out there, uh, you know, trying to embrace and take advantage of digital marketing, the internet, social media, video, audio, live streaming, podcasting. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of you as well. So excited to chat. Cool, man. Well, I guess, you know, like I said off air, this is just kind of like a, um, you know, a Joe Rogan, like, hey, we're just going to kind of have a conversation. You know, I got an outline, but, you know, who knows where the outline's going to take us uh, mm-hmm. in this conversation. So I guess, the, you know, the big thing uh, on a lot of people's mind today is like, um, you know, all the money that was spent at the Super Bowl. Like how did, you as a marketer, yeah. You as somebody that does advertising and things like that, like, um, how did that? How did that go for you? How did the Super Bowl? How did the ads at the Super Bowl hit you? Well, what's interesting is that the company that kind of won is the company that spent the least, which was oh, yeah. Reddit. Yeah, I mean uh, Reddit. If you think about what Reddit did with a five-second ad. There was no video camera, no movie camera, no actors, no actresses, no sets, no sound effects, just a screenshot with a lot of, a lot of text. <laughs> so they kind of broke every rule in the book, but we live in a world where people can pause their TV screen. Right. And I thought that was the smartest ad of the Super Bowl, and they also paid the least. So for me, it's really about getting creative. Um, you know, some of the ads, like I actually thought the Fiverr ad was great where they went to, uh, the four seasons lawn care where, where Trump had done the, uh, press conference or Rudy Giuliani. I thought that was really smart. Um, you know, basically you should have hired somebody from Fiverr to, to vet this a little bit better. (laughs) Uh, I like that ad a lot. Um, you know, Gary V's company put out an ad and, What I think, you know, you have to look at it like, are we building our brand? You know, are we going for the impressions and the reach and the reciprocity or do we want leads? Yeah. So I would say with Gary V's ad for Scott's miracle Grow, you know, hardcore call to action, text this to win this. So, you know, in many ways, they could probably argue that they had the best ad because they probably, you know, generated the most like tangible leads right. from the ad. Um, 
I liked it. I thought the Matthew McConaughey thing was pretty clever with flat Matthew. Doritos hilarious. always does a great job. Um, but my biggest takeaway was Reddit. I, I've already been thinking like, how do I copy that idea? How do I put out a five second video <clears throat> that just sort of forces people to watch it more than once or pause it and read it? Um, I just thought it was super smart. So I liked a lot of them, but I would, I would give Reddit the crown. Right on. And, uh, you know, there was some Rocket Mortgage ads in there. You know, I know that's one of your old, yeah. old stomping grounds, you know, <coughs> Quicken Loans. Uh, you know, they, they ate up some ad space there, too. I mean, how, how much money do you think was spent on the entire Super Bowl? How much money do like did we watch just float into the atmosphere? I don't know, man. I think it's five, five million bucks or something like that for 30 to 60 seconds. Um, I actually thought that Quicken Loans actually did a good job with their ad um, as well. Now that you mentioned that as far as I think it was sort of you need to be precise. You, you don't need to be kind of approved. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be really approved. Right. Um, which is, you know, it's a good message for the whole industry because it's just true. Yeah. Right. Um, but I would Tracy say Morgan in there, putting Tracy Morgan in there to make you laugh. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that is a strategy. You know, you can really get into people's minds when you can make them laugh. You can really interject in your message if they're laughing while you're getting it in, I think. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah. I've actually read about the science behind that, that like people's brains literally release certain types of chemicals when they're laughing that helps to solderize a memory yeah. um, for sure. Uh, you know, you got to do it right. If, if you're not a funny brand, you probably shouldn't put out funny marketing. Right. Right. It, it, everything that you do still has to kind of be on brand, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even, people, you know, the Saturday Night Live skit with Zillow. I think yeah. I think I think Zillow could have been, hey, you know, like, let's get some propaganda going for our company. You know, like, you know, that might have been, you know, somebody at Zillow calling up, you know, Saturday Night Live and saying, Hey, you know, give us a little, give us a little play time, like make fun of us or something like that. Cause you know, that volume spiked after that show, you know, like volume for sure. Zillow certainly went off the chart for the, for the, well, the reason after. that that commercial resonated is because it's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On many levels. Yeah. Um, and, but here's the thing is I, there were, there were parts of that commercial. It's not even a commercial. See, I'm calling it a commercial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it wasn't a commercial. It was, I think it was earned. I don't think Zillow told him to do that. I think right. that was just smart writers at a meeting that came up with a, with a clever idea. I'm always a conspiracy. I, I'm, always, I'm always diving into like, you know, mm-hmm. where I am and like, you know, powers that be and, and like, you know, how are we going to, you know, put things out that are going to help us in certain ways. Like, so like, I'm always like thinking backdoor scenarios. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not, I'm not saying that that might not have happened. I just personally don't think it did, but here's yeah. what, here's what no one's talking about with that skit. Number one, the guy registers. He didn't even want to register. He didn't even realize he registered. And a lot of consumers can relate to that. Number two, the realtor calls them and she's like, trying to pivot them into other properties and bringing up all these other properties. She calls them back again, right? Which is something that, uh, you know, it's frustrating for consumers, but it's necessary for agents. Yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting dichotomy where there's almost like this heavenly experience pre-registration. And then it was like this negative 
experience post-registration. Right. Um, but the, but again, the, the reason that that ad was relevant is it was truthful. Yeah. It sucks to get a million phone calls from people when you register online. Uh, it sucks to reach out to a realtor to want to talk about a property and they start trying to talk you into two or three others because that property maybe isn't listed anymore. And it sucks when people like Zillow more than they like us. Yeah. But those are all truths. Well, and I, so I that's know, why I landed. know that you're going to get a pain point somewhere because even in, in our advertising, the, the advertising you helped me with, that, mm -hmm. that we give them, we give them so much information. We give them like eight pictures. And if they want to click the link down to our landing page, yeah. And, and they want to, we want, you know, with Accelerator, we want them to give us all this information. Sure. They will click out of it and go to the comments and complain about it before yeah. they get the information. So it's like, where mm -hmm. do we want them complaining? Do we want them complaining yeah. prior to the phone call or while they're on mm -hmm. the phone call? You know, so like, well, ideally neither, but that's just the reality of, yeah. Uh, there, there was an era, Scott, where people would give their information on the internet freely. They'd register on every website. They'd register for every email newsletter. They'd sign up for every app. They'd allow notifications for every app. That era is over. Yeah. You know, what you're, what you should want to do and what, what we try to do is say, listen, if you put a little bit of friction in front of people, require their name, phone number, email, time frame, like what you're actually doing is you're, you are repelling a lot of folks that are not far enough down in the funnel to be worth your time to have a conversation. You're also capturing some folks that are. Right. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, think about, you mentioned Quicken. I mentioned the Gary V campaign with Scott's Miracle Grow. They're giving massive value in exchange for your info, like the Super Bowl squares, right? Yeah. You know, $50,000 every time the score changes, two people are going to win $500,000. Scott's Miracle Grow is giving you the backyard of your dreams, you know, this, this huge kind of a prize. But the reality is those are all super top of funnel leads, right? Like, I, I think what would be really interesting would be to put yourself into that funnel and see what happens. How do they nurture a lead that came in off of a contest and slowly get them into a purchase? Like, you know, if you're at Quicken Loans today and you're calling people that entered the Rocket Square Mortgage Contest, I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good phone call. Maybe it converts one in a thousand instead of one in a hundred. Maybe what they do is they do email marketing to nurture that lead or text message marketing to get the lead to say, hey, I actually might want to refinance right now or hey, I might want to get approved, right? So you kind of bring them in way at the top, but then you give them a fast track to the bottom. Say, hey, right. by the way, if you did want to get uh, some of Scott's Miracle Grow this weekend, it's half off as a thank you for entering the contest, print the coupon, download the coupon. There's ways to do it, but you got to really be thoughtful about that funnel. If all you do is fill the top of your funnel with contests and giveaways and humor, you're going to be thinking, you know, well, that was great, but we didn't get anything from it. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, number one on quick and, you know, I've, we've got such a, um, a competitive market here, as you know, like, you know, mm -hmm. we're putting property on the market and it's getting multiples uh, above asking price immediately right now. And mm -hmm. the problem with Quicken is, uh, you know, cons consumer facing, they're great. 
But mm-hmm. back end on on like you know my relationship with a Quicken loan officer and my relationship in the public perception with other agents is like there's going to be something going wrong with that transaction because they're not they're, they're not somebody you can reach out and touch here locally. You can't mm-hmm. you know there's a different <clears throat> dynamic when they can hide behind the phone or hide behind the computer and they're not here locally. We're actually sure. losing out on deals because we're we're Quicken loan approved. You know, mm-hmm. like they they prefer to go with so so Quicken has a, another challenge to to jump over. I don't know how how they do it. I don't know how they how they become the trusted people from from no local presence other than you know. Um, well, they've already done it, Scott. They're the largest lender in the country by far. Yeah. So you're right. What they did is they went all in on the consumer. Yeah. And now they're going okay we need to work with the industry a little bit better. They're at NAR with a booth. Right. They're doing industry relations, right? They're probably starting to think a little bit about which agents they connect the pre-approved buyer with, knowing how many agents are terrible and it's not fun to work with them. But yeah. you know, they have gone all in with industry relations at this point. Right. But for a decade, they just won the hearts and minds of the customer, Rocket Mortgage, Quicken Loans, yeah. Um, fun fact, not everybody knows this, but the reason that they licensed the name Quicken Loans, they licensed that name. No different than Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, they licensed that name. No different than Sotheby's, right? Mm-hmm. They licensed that name because it builds trust. Because if you go ask most co- consumers, especially when Quicken first started, hey, are you familiar with QuickBooks and TurboTax? It's like, yeah, I've heard of that. Well, this is the same parent company. Like that's why it's called Quicken Loans because it's QuickBooks and TurboTax, just like Sotheby's is the auction house and BH&G is the magazine. That's That's a play to build trust with people over the phone that you're never gonna meet. Right. Interesting, interesting, you know, yeah, I mean everybody. I think I think you're right. I think um, they're the most recognizable brand. Mm-hmm. Now they got to come and and provide value for the the you know the clients you serve. You know the client. Yeah. You know you you know curator. Obviously, in my opinion, you know serves the one percent of one percent mm-hmm. of this industry. So, well, if, what I would ask Scott, every person that I dealt with, is I would say, would you be open minded? to working with a trusted local lender if it meant that we could secure you a better interest rate than Quicken Loans. You yeah. get about 100% yes yeah. if you phrase it that way. Yeah. Uh, when you start saying, you know, can I connect you to my preferred lender? People start thinking, well, no, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to get a kickback or you guys probably have a history, but would you be open-minded to me connecting you with a trusted local lender if it means that we can actually secure a lower interest rate than Quicken Loans? Most people who I send to them actually end up getting a lower rate than Quicken. And sounds you know like that. A, sounds like sounds like you and Phil M. Jones have gone real, real deep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, exactly that's stuff, what man. to say. I but mean, you have to be ready for those conversations. If they're critical, if they're common, or if they're difficult, you need to be prepared. Yeah, no doubt. Um, 
That's good. That's good sales training, man. I know, I know you, you've got a, like a long history of, of that and it, it definitely shines. I mean, it definitely like, again, you're just like an inspiration of like the, the brand that you've been able to build and, and the influence that you have and, you know, 15,000 followers on, on Instagram. I feel like, I feel like you, you're 10 X better than that. I think, uh, you know, like, you know, but you go so deep, you go so deep with Mm -hmm. your community that that 15,000 will take you home if you don't, if, if it's all you did, you know, if that's all you did, yeah. uh, you know, you've got, well, it's so a good deep. example. You don't have to have the largest following if you have the right following. Yeah. So there's people with much bigger followings than me, but you know, we've turned it into an eight figure business. Yeah. Not a lot of people have done that. Yeah. A lot of the gurus and, uh, you know, the, the guys that are driving Lamborghinis, you know, yeah, they're making a half a million, a million bucks a year, you know, selling courses, selling workshops, selling coaching. Uh, but we're, we're trying to build a, a big real business and it's harder and it takes longer and it doesn't allow you to spend quite as much time, you know, growing the following, uh, even though clearly proud of the following that I do have either way. Yeah. Now, you you worked at Dot Loop at some point. Now, were you just an employee there? Did you have equity stake there when when they sold? Is that how you started Curator? Or like, tell you know, give me the background on you know how how you came into the capital to to really get Curator started and and just like the origin story of Curator. Sure. Yeah. So I'll I'll address the Dot Loop question first. I was a part time employee of Dot Loop. Uh, along with that came stock options in the company. So, Sweet. Uh, but yeah. just like any other Silicon Valley venture capital backed startup, you know, most of the employees have stock options. And depending on if you're uh, a VP or an assistant or an engineer, or if you're in the C-suite, the amount of stock options that you have changes. Gotcha. So I had, a, I had a good amount but I did not get retirement money, uh, even though Dot Loop sold for $108 million, yeah. uh, which is just what a great journey to be a part of. You know, clearly uh, some people made some really big money from that. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was a smart investment by Zillow. What I did, Scott, is I basically, I took the job with Dot Loop as a way to sort of hedge my bets on curators. Gotcha. So I got a base salary from Dot Loop. I got benefits for me and my family from Dot Loop, and that kind of gave me the security and the peace of mind to say, "Okay, I know I can pay my bills. I know I can feed my family. Now I'm going to start Curator with nothing to lose." So I was just I was kind of blessed because I had built a good reputation in the industry. I had a lot of trust. Austin and you know his team came to me to hire me. So that was just sort of one of my, um, one of my sort of negotiation points was, Hey, like I'll come help you guys and I'll do the best I can, but I'm going to start my own business and we've already got the idea for it. And if it takes off and does really well, like I'm probably going to have to segue more of my time into that. And they were cool with it. That's, you know, leverage is, is powerful. As far as the capital, it's funny when you say the capital, I think of the freaking capital uh, <laughs> with everything that just happened. But the, the, the financial investment was 
quite frankly, uh, mostly just elbow grease and hustle because what we would do is we actually would sign people up when they signed up with us. We would then go sign them up for like five or six or seven different softwares and we would integrate and connect all those softwares. And then there, you know, what we charged was more than the cost of all those subscriptions. Yeah. So picture kind of like, <clears throat> let's say you're charging a thousand bucks a month, but you got to spend 500 a month on the subscriptions. You've still got $500 worth of profit there. Yeah. So the first, like, I don't know how many customers, 25, 30, 40 customers, there was myself and my two co-founders, Andrew and Jimmy. And then there was also, we hired one virtual assistant named Krista who had extensive experience in the real estate industry. She was basically a real estate virtual assistant. Uh, we met her through a Facebook group. So we would acquire the customer. Jimmy would do customer service. Andrew was technical. So he, he actually would do the kind of technical developer work. And then Krista would do kind of the grunt work of getting the account set up and getting the client on board and everything like that. And we just kept reinvesting what we made to build the account, you know, bigger and bigger. I think the first, uh, the first time we paid ourselves was like a hundred bucks a week. And then it became 150 and then it became two and then it became 250. And yeah, after a while, it was like, wow, this is sort of, this is now making me more than the dot loop stuff. Like it, it's working. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's really the, the origin story. We never raised any venture capital. We never took out any outside financing, um, which is one of the things that I'm equally proud of and curious as to see what would have happened had we. Yeah. Because when you talk about like building great products and software, which is now we've, we sort of, there's still some integrations in our platform where we rely on our partners but about 80 or 90% of it is now us building it, us maintaining it, us writing the code. You know, the websites aren't WordPress anymore. They're Curator. Uh, the email tool is not MailChimp anymore. It's Curator. Uh, the analytics tool is not Mixpanel. It's Curator. You know, Convert. Like we, we sort of slowly built a lot of the software and it's expensive. Yeah. So when you see these companies that raise you know, 30 million bucks or 50 million bucks, you see this massive investment that they take on. A lot of it goes into engineering talent. You know, a really good engineer, a quality engineer is going to make, you know, 150 to 200 K per year. Yeah. Some of them can demand even more than that. And at most companies, uh, buffer, you know, HubSpot, they've got dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of engineers. So your cost of labor is really high, you know, and that's why you need big investments to go make your idea happen because you need people to build it, maintain it, iterate on it, which is very expensive. Sounds like to me that you had, uh, you know, you had the recognition to pull in the clients. You had an operator ready to put the conveyor belt machine together to, to make sure that everything was handled right. And, and you guys just have a good solid team to, and you know, each other's role in, in the company. Sounds like 
sounds like that's kind of what you put together. Is that right? Yeah. You have to have people around you that complement your skills, right? So Jimmy and I used to say, I'm front of house. He's back of house, right? Yeah. I would put myself out there and go to conferences and write books and do everything to bring in customers. And then it would lead to him and he would maintain the relationship, keep him happy, et cetera. Yeah. Jimmy has become much more uh, prevalent in yeah. the front of the house over time. He's the CEO now. Yeah. So I've kind of slid, I've kind of slid into like the dream job where I evangelize curator. I consult all the different departments. I coach, I train, I, uh, but I don't, I'm not the CEO. Yeah. He has to deal with all the challenges that come along with, with that role day to day. But yeah, we, we complimented each other. There's a thing, um, there's a thing in my book, people work that I wrote with the guy from dot loop. And it's, there's a principle that stars are made in Hollywood. And it's this idea that like, you have to surround yourself with people that you really want to be around because that's what you'll become known for. So when you think of Hollywood, you think of actors, when you think of Nashville, you think of musicians, when you think of uh, New York, you think of business people, but those cities are not, you know, largely made up. It's not like everybody in Nashville sings country music. Most people there don't. Right. But if enough people are a certain way, that becomes your stigma. Um, the example I use is the Chicago Bulls. I love the Bulls. I love Jordan. Yeah. You know, that was my idol growing up. He needed a star. He needed Scottie Pippen but he needed Steve Kerr and he needed Dennis Rodman and he needed Bill Winnington and he needed Phil Jackson, like to become a champion, you know, a dynasty, you've got to have these like really good role players in place. Um, and I, and at this point we have 50 employees, Wow. you know, you get to a point where your employees are in conversations with your customers way more than you are. Yeah. You know, you've probably talked to the accelerator team, more than you've talked to me. Yeah. And if they don't do a great job and if they're not responsive and if, you know, they're not kind of on brand, then everything I did to bring somebody in is kind of a fraud. Yeah. So yeah, your people are your best asset. And then, you know, that's one thing I hear in real estate, a lot of agents. So I can't hire someone because they can't do it as good as me. And if a business like Curator took that mentality, we would be a fraction of the size that we are. And yeah you know, the smaller you are, the less of an impact you can have on the world and on your life and on the life of the people that work for you and your customers. Uh, so it's a, it's the wrong mindset, but it's a prevalent one. Yeah, you don't, you, you I've got to have do it leverage. all. You have to have mm-hmm. the leverage, you know, time, 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 so valuable, you know, 24 hours in the day, we all get it. So how are we going to, how are we going to try to multiply the opportunities in the 24 hours? The only real way to do that is through more people. Uh, but it exactly. seems it seems like to me y'all have done a really good job of of holding your money accountable, growing growing at a pace that that isn't risking at all. You know, I I I shoot from the hip, man. Like you know, like I wish I was more like that. I wish I could be more like that. Like you know, I spend money on things. I spend money on things to run my business that have helped me develop my business and and mm-hmm. you know get me to this certain point. But then also. You know, there's there's a quote that says, "What got you here won't get you there." You know, so I gotta like I gotta find some people that I can pass that knowledge down to, so they can do the same things that I'm doing, and support mm-hmm. them in that 
endeavor so I can earn more money and have more leverage of my time. So if you wanted me at an excellence one year, I could get on stage, you know, like yes. I could go do that. Um, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't, right. I can't do that right now, you know, because, um, you know, I just don't have, it. you know, if I'm on stage, I, I can't take that email. I can't take that phone call. Sure. You know, I can't, I can't direct anybody to go do anything for me at that point. So I got to figure that out. That's, that's probably going to be one of my biggest challenges moving forward mm-hmm. is, you know, looking at my bottom line. I, I hardly ever have looked at it. I've been so top line focused that I'm just like, pay it, do it, get it, do it. It doesn't matter. Like, but now it's getting to the point where, you know, the cost of sales, you know, it matters, you know, like I'm, I'm feeding five people. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get bigger. I'm trying to go do more things. It's irresponsible of me not to hold my money more accountable. Yeah. Yeah, It's not how much you make. It's how much you keep. But sometimes people don't grow as much as they could because they're too concerned with the bottom line. The way Jimmy and I think about it is offense and defense, right? Right. You you, you can't just play defense if you want to grow. You've got to play offense. You've got to make some investments in people and systems and leads and all of that. Um, But if you only play offense, you can get in a lot of trouble too. If the wind blows the wrong way one year, you know, think about last year in March, COVID hits, everybody freaked out. Yeah. Uh, We didn't know real estate was going to actually thrive and do well. So for the first 30, 45 days of COVID, you know, what do people start doing? They start cutting. You know, they say, what can I cut? What can I keep? And what you want to be to your customers is you want to be essential. That, that's really the key. Uh, our vision statement is two words, be irreplaceable. Because when things go bad, and they're going to go bad again. I mean, I hope they don't, but they probably will. There's cycles yeah. of this stuff. Uh, the analogy that I would use, Scott, would be a lot of people canceled Hulu but not a lot of people canceled Netflix, right? You don't want to be Hulu. (laughs) You know, a lot of people, uh, fired their pool guy, but nobody fired their power guy. Right. You didn't get rid of your power bill, but you might've got rid of your pool bill. Yeah. Uh, same thing with your phone. Nobody got rid of their phone, but a lot of people might've downgraded their plan for their phone. Yeah. Right. So you want to be, Essential. That word came out a lot, right? An essential business. And it's true. And when I think about real estate agents like yourself, I just think there's so much opportunity to be essential pre and post sale. Yeah. Like you guys kind of obsess about being essential during the transaction. And that's great. You have to be. That's the job. But what can you do with your content, with your brand, with your social media, with your blog, with your networking, with your Facebook groups, like how can you become an essential and irreplaceable part of your customer's experience in life? And we see that happen quite a bit where, you know, there a good example back in the day was 365 things to do in Nashville. You know, these Facebook pages where Every single day they would post, you know, a cool thing to do in Nashville. And that got a lot of attention. And then it trickled down to business for the agents that did that. Um, I think about our buddy Jay Marks in Dallas. Yeah. 
you know, he's got a, a vlog called Foodie Friday, you know, like he's going in and interviewing restaurants and, you know, talking about their best items and sharing their backstory. And, you know, that's the kind of content that you want in your feed, you know, all year round Yeah. Uh, versus just a listing or an open house or a sold or uh, a review, right? You, you have to have both if you're going to be essential on each side of the transaction. And part of the truth is the scary truth is that, you know, 95% of the people in your life are not buying or selling a home this year. So if you only go after that 5%, you really repel the 95%. And then their interest in what you have to say is extinguished by the time you transact. They're not even paying attention. Curator, you're right. We do go after, you know, I wouldn't say the 1% of the 1%, but I would say we go after the 3 to 5% of top producing agents and teams. Well, you, you can't necessarily just target through ads and say, you know, only show everything I do to the Wall Street Journal top 1,000. Like, it, right. it's not that easy. So what we've tried to do through the books, through the podcast, through the blog, through the speeches that we give, through the interviews like this that we do, is we just try to bring value to 100% of people. And then we hope that people will go check us out and see what we do and figure out if it's right for them. Yeah. Because I mean, if I, imagine I, if I all I like, did was talk about, hey, if you've got three grand a month, come talk to us. Like yeah. 95% of the industry would tune us out. But you yeah. have to realize a lot of agents are starting out or they're getting better and they're working up and then one day they're going to be a curator client. So that's exactly my progression. I mean, I, you know, you know, in the little trailer we produced, you know, you heard me talking about, you know, where I, I ran into you at the San Diego national convention, you were doing the homes.com thing. And, and, uh, you know, it was very compelling what you were saying. And, you know, I just, you know, that, that got me on my journey and I am, I am now at the top level of curator client. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I take advantage of all of your product and service. You know, we had that conversation when Accelerator came out, you know, of, hey man, like I had to just get the, I had to get the guy on the phone before I, before I, like, before I committed and dove all the way in. Sure. And, uh, you know, it was great that you were willing to do that. I mean, to get the, to get the top guy of the company on the phone to just, just help me cope with that amount of money. Uh, because it's a lot, but it's, it's, it's performing, you know, it's performing, it's doing everything that you guys would have hoped it was going to do. I mean, yeah. the amount of impressions and lead opportunities and people into the funnel, it, you, you just hit it on the head. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that product. And, uh, if I had more money to put into, uh, monthly advertising, I would do it. I mean, yeah. you know, like we're trying well, to figure will. out ways to do more online. Mm -hmm. So, so this is a good segue in like, you know, I do have a, a thing on the thing here about the privacy wars of it all, you know, like, you know, the battle between Apple and Facebook and, and, and the, the overall privacy thing, like, how are you guys planning and, and developing strategies? I know y'all had talked something about YouTube pre-roll and like, mm -hmm. where are you guys looking at other forms of advertising? You know, cause if you're cut off from Facebook, what do we do? Right? Like what happens? Yeah. Well, you're not going to get cut off from Facebook but a lot of amateur advertisers will disappear. Yeah. Just like when NAR and FHA said, Hey, you know, your ad targeting 
can't be, you can't target by age. You can't target, uh, you know, with a mi- within a mile of a neighborhood. You have to target within 15 miles of a neighborhood. Everybody freaked out then too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get it. Ultimately, the consumer is going to probably win the battle over privacy. Yeah. Uh, Apple is basically saying, hey, you know, if people, if you're going to track what people do and if you're going to cookie them when they come to your site or if you're going to have a pixel installed when they leave, we're going to kind of pop it up in between that leaving and say, hey, this company tracks you. Is that what the disclosure is at the bottom saying, hey, we use cookies? Is that is that what's going on there? Yeah, that was actually something that came out right around a year and a half or two years ago, where if you're going, how many websites have it? This website uses cookies and you hit allow or you hit okay. Yeah. But think about it. How many websites do you see that and go, oh, I'm out of here? No, you just close it and you keep browsing. Exactly. (laughs) So... You know, that's part of it is I think people's first reaction is to overreact. I I truly believe that. What I would be thinking a lot about and what we're thinking about internally is what can we do, not what can't we do? Yeah. Because it's easy to figure out what you can't do. What Facebook has been able to gather about its customers, the posts they click on, the posts they like, uh, the, the, where they live, their job, their like all this stuff. You have what's considered first party data. That's really what you'll be able to tap into in all its glory. Yeah. Third party data would be kind of, oh, they left and then they browsed the website and then that webs they want to grab that data from the website and, and shoot it back into Facebook. Gotcha. I think, you know, with social media in general, a lot of us didn't realize what we were doing. You know, we were just signing up left and right and liking pages and clicking stuff. And the algorithm is real. But the, the overreaction typically is what happens. Now, Facebook has come out and said, hey, you might see an impact on your ads. You might see uh, less leads or less clicks. You might uh, have less data but a lot of it really just comes around the the building of an audience, right? If I want to build an audience of people that went to your website and read your reviews, there's going to be a smaller audience now. Right. If I want to build an audience of people that went to your website and looked at 10 different properties or 10 different pages, like, you know, highly trafficked uh, users, it's going to be harder to do that now. But overall, if they click a post, if they like a post, if they comment on a post, if they share a post, all of those sort of uh, triggers and sort of uh, what you would call kind of warning signs, if you will, those are all still going to be available for for targeting. Just the stuff that they do off of Facebook will be a little bit uh, more difficult. You mentioned YouTube, YouTube, which is owned, of course, by Google, we are already starting to manage Google ads. We're testing YouTube ads. The, the funny thing is, I want to say, yeah, the targeting's better because it is right now. Right now on YouTube, you can target smaller areas. You don't have to target the you know 15 mile radius stuff. You can still use 
uh, demographic targeting, which, you know, kind of went away again on Facebook. Um, you can target people that uh, have shown interest in real estate channels and real estate related content, which is harder to do on Facebook. But the truth is, those targeting options are probably going to go away too. I think that this eventually will sort of impact, you know, it won't be like it impacts Facebook. It'll be like it impacts the internet. Gotcha. It impacts the internet, but the internet's not going away and your customers are going to use Facebook and Instagram and they're going to use LinkedIn and Twitter and they're going to use TikTok and Snapchat and they're going to do Google searches and watch YouTube videos. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, do I want to be there or not? Yeah. And I think most people would say, yeah, probably a good idea to stay in front of customers. Yeah. Um, omnipresent. Billboards. You got to be everywhere. Yeah. And by the way, when people drove by billboards or when people watch TV commercials or when people listen to radio ads or when people got mail out of their mailbox, none of those mediums were like super targeted. You know, if you got a billboard on the interstate, there's teenagers driving past it that are not anywhere near buying a home. Does that mean you shouldn't do the billboard? You know, you have hopefully safely 85, 90 year old driving past it that is not going to buy a home. Should they not see the bill? Should you not do the billboard at all? Because a hundred percent of the cars that go past it are not filled with your perfect customer. You know, when we do ads on Facebook, we waste a lot of our ad spend because it gets in front of Keller Williams. It gets in front of Remax. It gets in front of Coldwell Banker. And as you know, Scott, are, are all of the agents at those companies really good at what they do and make a lot of money and successful or are like half of them don't even do a deal? Right. So you're always going to waste a little bit of money when you advertise. I think that's a, a universal truth. Yeah. But if your business is growing and you're, you're getting an ROI, that's really what ultimately matters. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. I mean, um, I love your perspective on 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 these situations. I mean, uh, it's been it's been tremendous. Um, how, what's the runtime here, Sky? Uh, we've been running about forty six minutes. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess uh, let's see what we got here. All right. So you got the Jordan there in the background. You know, you got. Uh, I know you collected. Uh, you collected all those shoes at one point. It, mm -hmm. Did I? Did I? Do I have it right? You sold all those? Like you just at some point you just went like, all right, I'm I'm done with this. I'm going to just sell all these. Like, is that right? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. So I did get rid of some of them. I did keep some of them. Um, I had a a mental breakdown a little over a year ago. I had a manic episode and found out that I was bipolar. And when you're, when you have a manic episode, you do a lot of stupid stuff. Yeah. Uh, you spend too much money. You like, I, man, I mean, I'm not going to go to the depths of everything that I sort of thought of, but yeah, yeah. that was one of those things, which was like, I'm never going to wear red shoes again. I'm tired of wearing red shoes. I, I need to diversify my closet. Um, and yeah, I gave some away. I kept some. When I finally came out of this like 
crazy state that I was in, I found a garbage bag full of like three or four of my favorite pairs, thankfully. A lot of them are actually just for display purposes. Like I've, I never wear them ever. I just, these are, these are like round one, right? These are like, these are the, the, like the first editions type things, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is like a Jordan one. Yeah. You know, my cousin actually got me these, my cousin's boyfriend, I should say. He came to Orlando and picked my brain on business. And so he bought me a pair. I think, um, you know, this, you know, our story has ups and downs. I think, I think, mm-hmm. you know, letting people into some of the down and, and the vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and the, and the things that, that actually happen to real people in real yeah. life. I think mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's pretty compelling stuff. You know, it's something, it's something that you can, you can maybe help others understand what you went through and, and that they can, mm-hmm. they can still achieve big, you know, like what you what you've been able to accomplish in, in your life has been, uh, you know, remarkable to me, you know, like I'm, I use you as an influence. I mean, for even doing stuff like this, I mean, you know, I even took your time spot. I mean, y'all run Tuesday, y'all run Tuesday at two. I was like, well, yeah. curator does Tuesday at two. So like, well, must I, be a reason. Yeah. must be a reason. Yeah. So like, I'm, I, I'm blindly looking at your example and like, trying to follow your path, you know? So I think it's smart. It's actually really good advice, Scott, which is don't always listen to the advice these folks give, observe what these folks do. Yeah. Right. Because we do our best to teach and train and uh, sort of on purpose, give you ideas to go execute that we think are going to help. But there's a lot that you can learn through like osmosis, you know, um, like you mentioned, uh, you know, some people with much, much larger followings, right? Well, one thing I know a hundred percent for sure is that the people with larger followings than me post a lot more than I do. Yeah. So they may post two to three times a day. They may post 10 to 15 stories a day. Right. Whereas, you know, I might post once a week and post a couple stories each week and I'm, I'm just not as active there. Yeah. But I'm watching it and I'm aware of it. Just like right now, I still haven't posted on TikTok, but I'm consuming stuff there yeah. and I'm analyzing what works. And, you know, why is this guy that no one's ever heard of got a bigger following on TikTok with more engagement than Gary Vee? Yeah. Well, you know, why is uh, this sort of, strategy that they're using more appealing to this new audience than a, a certain strategy like might be like, I'll tell you right now, if I go into TikTok and I just give advice for real estate agents, I'm going to lose. Yeah. That's not a sought after category. Yeah. That's there's not enough agents that are logging on to TikTok every day to even kind of exponentially blow up my account. Yeah. But Sales advice, marketing advice, business advice, those things all seem to be doing pretty good. You know, if you kind of take it one level above and you don't make it only about uh, real estate, you know, you kind of take the real estate piece out, I think it can still do really good. Right. So, you know, I've I've encouraged, I've actually encouraged, you know, we've had Instagram conversations about our uh, conversion code 2.0. Yeah. What what's going on with what's going on with conversion code 2.0? I mean, I know like conver- the conversion code 
could could honestly live forever. But it's got such a nuance because some of the some of the things that you were talking about, some of the companies that you brought to 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 the forefront, mm-hmm. like those companies might not be around anymore, right? So, yeah. So like I I think you have. I think you have a real opportunity with the the following that you have to continue. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of research and 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 time and energy put into developing a book like that. But yeah. you know, you stay such on top of the game that mm-hmm. I think you could probably just make a few adjustments here or there and and put out one of those every probably every five years. You know, yeah, I tend to agree. I think that you need you need some time to pass. Yeah for there to be enough new stuff to sort of teach and analyze and test and, and then share the fundamentals of the book. Haven't changed your, some of the apps and some of the tools that are like one of my favorite apps in the book is called Charlie app. Right. And it was this amazing app that would connect to your calendar. And every time you had anybody on your calendar, it would provide a link to a dossier and it would show, you know, all the stuff they've been doing on social. Basically, it would go stalk them online, get every data point about them humanly possible, and put that in your calendar for you on every appointment that you had. It was a great idea. Salesforce agreed. <laughs> and so they bought them. And then they shut it down. They, oh, you know, wow. they rolled it in Salesforce. It's not actually a standalone app anymore. You can't sign up for it even if you wanted to. So there are a couple things like that. Quite frankly, uh, when I talk about the targeting of ads on Facebook, a lot of that changed with some of the changes to the Fair Housing Act and NAR and HUD. Because you can't you can't mirror audiences anymore, right? Like that was one. I mean, you know, Facebook at one point was probably the the best marketing advertising targeting tool in the history of mankind, but it's kind mm-hmm. of been dumbed down, right? Well, it's been, yes, and it still is the best. Yeah. So they were they were creepy good. Right. And I think that, by the way, Scott, this is a good lesson for people as to why sometimes it's worth being an early adopter and an innovator in a new medium yeah. versus, you know, always questioning it and, wanting to prove that it works and wanting to, you know, kind of, uh, know for sure it's valid. Yeah. There's an early mover advantage, you know, um, think about Zillow. People used to sign up for Zillow and get leads from Zillow and close deals from Zillow. And it was a couple hundred bucks a month. Now it's thousands of dollars a month or they charge 35% of your commission check. Yeah. So, the, the sort of Zillow golden years are over too, right? Yeah. All these companies, but here's the nice thing. They're all publicly traded, uh, especially Facebook. They make 99.9% of their revenue from ads. Yeah. So they're going to keep innovating. They're going to keep creating great ad units. But the conversion code 2.0, uh, some of the things that it would include, like I would go way deeper on audio so I would go deeper on podcasting. I would go uh, deep on Clubhouse, the new app that's blowing up right now. Yeah, uh, I would go way deeper on vertical videos and vertical stories. Um, you know, I think stories were really just starting and really like Snapchat only when I wrote the book. So they weren't really relevant. And now 
Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, they all have stories. Yeah. And TikTok is a never ending feed of stories, yeah. basically. So, uh, you know, sort of best practices around uh, creating vertical content versus call it horizontal content, uh, I think is really important. But I'll tell you what really, so the marketing stuff is going to change faster than the sales stuff. Right. That's, you know, section one is all marketing and advertising. Section two is, okay, now the lead came in. What do I do to go from a lead coming in to getting them to pick up the phone and have a conversation? And calling quickly and calling often and text messaging, like all merge codes with their name and short, sweet messages that try to get them to reply to you. Most of that would not change. Yeah. Same thing with the phone call you know, the actual sales call wouldn't change that much either. Right. So I, I do think I'll update the book. Um, I'm going to carve out some time to make that a priority. And I just want there to be enough, you know, cool new stuff uh, to do so. Most people, Scott, have not even come close to executing on what's in the book already. Yeah. They haven't. And guilty, I'll, I'll give you guilty, the example guilty on that. I mean, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, that's why I hire you. You know, it's, it's a great thing because you got, you, there's so much out there. There's so much that, you know, you talk about in the book. It's like, do I try to run this, run this path or do I just call Chris? You know, do I just, do I just get with curator to, to continue, uh, you know, to let him be the innovator and the thought leader and, and go and do this research for me and let me just pay him to, to execute. Sure. You know? Yeah. The book's been one of our best acquisition channels because it's like a cookbook. It's like, yeah. okay, now you have all the recipes, you have all the ingredients, but you might still want to just hire a chef or go to a restaurant instead yeah. of cooking it yourself. The, uh, I'll leave you with this, Scott, what I would be thinking about. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like this concept of a triple threat, right? Yeah. Uh, in the entertainment world, you have, as an example, J-Lo. She can sing, she can dance, she can act. Yeah. Right? Some people might question the acting. But, you <laughs> know, she has done movies, she's done albums, and and she's a good dancer. Right. She's been a dancer. Um, if you think about sports... Uh, somebody like LeBron James is a triple threat. He's a great passer. He's a great scorer and he's a great defender. Yeah. Right. When you think about relationships, you're sort of looking for a triple threat. You know, you're looking for somebody that's, you know, cute, funny, and smart. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying? You don't, yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to find somebody that's just one of those things. Right. And what I've learned through working with, you know, thousands and thousands of agents and teams that are insanely successful is that there is actually a triple threat when it comes to gr business growth. And the triple threat is actually advertising, marketing, and sales. Mm. Meaning when you have all three of those dialed in, that's really when the rocket ship takes off. Gotcha. Most agents have one. They're really good at sales. They suck at marketing or they're really good at marketing. They never follow up and they never sell yeah. or they, they just, they buy ads, right? They just do ads, but they don't do any marketing or selling 
They just look for the low hanging fruit that yeah. comes in. When we look at the teams that have multiple millions of dollars in GCI, it's because they have all three marketing, sales, and advertising. Now you can actually get by on two out of three. If you have a program like Accelerator that's bringing in paid ads and leads and you have a really strong sales team, that's going to be enough to grow. Yeah. We have a client up in Canada. His name's Jordan Rossman. He has paid ads. So he's got the advertising bucket and he does a lot of marketing. He doesn't want to be in sales. Yeah. But between the advertising and the marketing, he's growing. Gotcha. So you you have to at least have two dialed in. But for people that are looking for like, what's the key to breaking through to the next level? It's when you have all three. When you've got a really good sales process in place that can take advantage of the advertising. And then, because think about it, you're advertising, you're filling your funnel, you're growing your database. That creates sales opportunities, but it also creates marketing opportunities. So as your database grows through paid ads, your marketing is nurturing and identifying. They call it a marketing qualified lead versus sales qualified lead. But when you have all three, it's a beautiful thing. So that's the business triple threat, marketing, advertising, and sales. Gotcha. It's great. It's great uh, to just hear that, you know, that just, just hearing somebody say that really just kind of like triggers like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Let's, let's, Mm -hmm. let's, let's like dial that in and make sure that's what we got, you know? Yeah. Make sure that's um, what you got and then identify what you don't have. Because for a lot of people, they don't have the sales piece in place. We have clients like Dan Chen. We have clients like the Woodbeck team. We have clients like AJ Hazi. We have so many clients that are absolutely killing it. And then we have clients that's like, eh, it's kind of going good. Not sure. And then we even have clients, oh, it doesn't work. Well, I can promise you that the ones that say it doesn't work, they don't have sales or marketing. They might just have ads. Right. Or they might be good at sales, but they don't ever cab and create content and run ads, et cetera. Sure. Um, but yeah, I want hey, everyone to hey, be Scott, successful. Do we, have any, do we have any questions from anybody online? I mean, I got a couple of questions here from, you know, I wanted to do just like a couple of Q&A type things, if you don't mind, Chris. Sure. Um, do we have anything online there, Scott? Or I can just read kind of what's, what's here from the staff. Uh, yeah, I think we're, uh, we don't have anything right now for online. Okay. I guess a couple, a couple of, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of polled my staff to ask you a couple of questions. Um, how important is, is, is website search engine optimization on Google? How important is it? Because, you know, the, the website that we have doesn't, I mean, obviously, are we going to compete with Zillow and Realtor.com? No. But mm-hmm. where should we be with the curator website, in your opinion? And is it really just not important to rank that high on Google search? I think it's important. I think it's important. Yeah. You got, you want to rank for the right stuff. Right. You know, we, we started off as a social media company, so we didn't put a ton of time into thinking about SEO and, you know, architecting, uh, backlinks and keywords and all this different stuff. But if, if you use it properly, you can rank. If you create the right content where it's actually longer tail stuff, neighborhood level stuff, school district stuff, price, price point, bedroom number, some of that stuff. The majority of the kind of like high volume searches 
you're right. You're not going to really compete. If you want to rank above Zillow, you need to do Google ads. <laughs> like that's gotcha. really the quickest path to doing that. But what I've found, and I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of agents about this, the ones that get it right, okay, meaning SEO, it usually lead, leads them to a handful of really good opportunities per month. So it's more of a quality play over quantity because if somebody's searching like, you know, uh, condos for sale right now in downtown for over 500K, that's, that's a very high level of intent. So once you do rank, you never want to unrank. Like I've talked to agents that have like old website, really ugly, definitely needs like a makeover, but they won't touch it because they get two or three good leads a month. So I think have, have the right expectation. If we put the work in, if we create content the right way and we start to rank, what is that going to lead to as far as growth? And it can lead to a couple deals a month. It's not going to lead most likely to hundreds of leads per month, but it's going to lead to sort of leads at the bottom of the funnel if you get it right. Yeah. But, you know, Curator, WordPress, uh, you know, REW does some really good stuff with like optimizing their sites. Like it really comes down to um, making it a priority. And for a lot of people, they just don't have the time. And then they do get uh, kind of a defeatist attitude, which is like, I ain't going to outrank these guys anytime soon. I don't like that. I mean, I, I want to think I can, I can produce with the, you know, I can step in the ring with the heavyweight, you know, that's what, yeah. that's, that's my mentality mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, you do this. Okay. I can do this. And, and sure. you know, you know, I don't have the resources of that, but you know, maybe we can figure out a workaround or, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's another way to, to, mm -hmm. to perform that way. Um, but, uh, I just think, I think, you know, I'll tell my staff to just continue to talk with you guys and continue to express what we're going through. I think maybe that might be the best avenue of, yeah, of I would, I bet if I looked at the back end of your site and I logged into your pages and your posts and some of that stuff, you could be kind of doing it right. There's a lot of settings that are not super obvious that, You've got to go into the right area to add the right tags, add the right descriptions, add the right titles, things of that nature. Um, and a lot of people just kind of blow past that. Yeah. But yeah, call your call your CSM, call your coach and tell them that's important to you. And they can at least show you what can be done. Like I said earlier, everyone knows what we can't do. Let's show you what we can do. Okay, cool. Well, I guess uh, I'll just, you know, um, you know, you know, give you the last word here and, and pretty much just, you know, tell you, uh, you know, I think I said this to you maybe at the last excellence, like, you know, you line them up and say, go, I'm ready to run. Like, you know, your influence means, you know, a lot to me. I think, I think a lot of people would agree with that. The, the work you guys are doing are, is very valuable to us and, uh, just keep, you know, just keep being you, you know, and you know, whatever, whatever you've had to deal with, uh, we're proud of you and, and, uh, we want to keep seeing you win and, you know, we're, we're glad to have you and, um, just thanks for being you, man. I appreciate you. No problem. Thank you. Keep fighting the good fight. 
And uh, thank you for your business too. Yeah, man. All right. Well, hey, thanks again. And uh, hey, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey, you know what? Stick around. We're going to end this. I just want to talk to you off air real quick uh, before I let you go. Okay. Sure. Cool. Hey, thanks guys. Appreciate you watching.